Okay, let's do some quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. That's obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. To reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. Here's the thing. Information is power. Information is money. Literally, the currency of today's world of of entrepreneurship is information. And if you could bring all of the, the information about your business into one dashboard, this is incredibly valuable. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of the truth about your business. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, access from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all of your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. This is so valuable. You just hit a button and you can see all the information about your business instead of having to like call five different departments and get all these emails and put it all together and make sense of it. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math, see how you'll profit with NetSuite. Backed by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash james. netsuite.com slash james. netsuite.com slash james. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show on the Choose Yourself Network. Today on the James Altucher Show. People have to understand their own brain chemistry when they're investing. So when I look at startups now, I don't look at all the reasons of why it will fail. I'll write them down sometimes. And then I usually rip that page up. And then I just list the one or two reasons of why it will work. So here's all the reasons why it's not going to work. But here's the one or two things that could go right that'll make it work. And all of these ideas seem absolutely crazy. How many people here have stayed in Airbnb? Raise your hand. People are fucking crazy. Like, I, how do you know they're not going to kill you, right? But this is my thinking. This is my, and right back to conservative thinking. Like, I don't even need to understand if Airbnb is going to work if that many people are going to raise their hand. But of course, in the beginning, it was just those five crazy people. Now, those five crazy people, if you talk to them, they would be able to sit there and tell you why this is such a great idea. And that's one of the secrets to angel investing is you have to really separate your limited capacity to understand ideas and then be able to read the passion of the person creating the product and why they're creating it and why it's going to work now and those crazy five customers. And that really is the secret to being a great investor. Today's episode is brought to you by Casper, creators of One Premium Mattress. The Casper is an obsessively engineered mattress at a shockingly fair price. Supportive memory foams create an award-winning sleep surface with just the right sink and just the right bounce. Try Casper for 100 nights risk-free in your own home. If you don't love it, they'll pick it up and refund you everything. 
Casper understands the importance of truly sleeping on a mattress before you commit, especially considering you're going to spend a third of your life on it. Free shipping and returns to U.S. and Canada. Get $50 towards any mattress purchase by visiting www.casper.com slash James and using offer code James. Terms and conditions apply. For small businesses that don't have an HR expert on staff, payroll and benefits can be such a pain. How do you keep track of that stuff? Thankfully, Gusto has your back. Gusto offers the best, clear, and automated payroll for the modern small business. From unlimited and off-cycle payrolls to direct deposit, multiple states, and pay rates, Gusto can help you with all of your payroll needs. And you can even integrate it with your accounting software, such as QuickBooks or Xero. It's a streamlined platform that lets you take care of your team with one login and one password to remember. Sign up for Gusto today. Go to gusto.com slash James and get started with one month of payroll. Welcome to this event. I'm James Altucher, uh, hosting Jason Kalkanis on my podcast, The James Altucher Show. But also, this is really an event about Jason's new excellent book, Angel. And you'll have to forgive me. I'm really horrible with subtitles, but I'll read it out loud anyway. How to invest in technology startups. Timeless advice from an angel investor who turned $100,000 into $100 million. That is such a great subtitle because it's like, look, look, this is what I'm worth now at least. <laughs> so It's very subtle. It's very subtle. We uh, Originally, the cover was not just an angel wing, but it was me bare-chested with the sword and shield, like a romance novel. We couldn't exactly get it right. And we just thought, wow, the subtitle's so over the top. Maybe we don't need to have me. You could have just kept the subtitle, but I yeah. like the title Angel as well. Yeah, we, it's, um, it's meant to be candid. Well, well, the good thing about this is, well, you know what? Hold on one second on okay. that. We met, I'm going to just describe this story first. Okay. We met 22 years ago. And I'm going to go back and forth in time throughout this interview. But we met 22 years ago. Uh, we had been in communication. You were doing this little magazine, the Silicon Alley Reporter. Sure. Forget about those guys in Silicon Valley. We yep. thought we were really important. So, like on between Fifth Avenue and Broadway and between like Houston and 21st Street. Yeah. It was like all the Silicon Alley companies, DoubleClick and three others. Hell of a party. It, yes. <laughs> and uh, iVillage. Uh, anyway, and then all the web design companies, which that entire industry doesn't exist anymore. Right. But you were covering all of them. You were just so fascinated by the space and you knew everybody in the space and the only venture capitalist in the space at the time, Fred Wilson, who's still a venture capitalist. Yep. And, uh, and so we met and you were talking and talking about all these companies, this company, that company, this company. And I said to you, you know, you know so much about all these companies why are you just writing about them? You should like work for a venture capital firm and be an investor. Why don't you invest in them? And you said something which I took as great advice for the next 15 years maybe, yep. which is that, oh no, I know I'm smart, so I'm only going to invest in myself. I'm not going to invest in these other companies. Yeah. And, you, and you kind of mentioned that in this book and you say, no, I've changed my mind. So maybe let's, that'll be the first question. What made you change your mind? Um, well, I got a lot more friends who became very successful and they kept asking me for advice and I'd sit down with them and 
you know, they'd say, hey, you know, I'm starting this company. It's going to be, it's kind of like poker online and you play poker, right? I said, yeah, yeah, I play poker. And my friend said, well, what if people played for like a virtual currency and then like, you know, you would play against your friends in your social graph? And I said, Mark, I know poker. And people in poker, if you make it virtual chips, there's no... Um, there's no risk involved. So going all in or making a bet, it's kind of neutered. There's no, it makes no logical sense. So no, I'm not going to invest in Zynga. It's a stupid idea and you're going to fail. So, uh, and that turned into a $25 million mistake. And then Elon came up to me and was talking to me about his car company that he had invested in at the time. And they were about to run out of money. And uh, he was pretty depressed about it. And I think they were trading at a dollar a share. And he had to take over as CEO, and I was just giving him a bunch of advice about it. But I wasn't angel investing. I, I didn't even consider it. And uh, that was at a dollar a share. Now, I don't know what it's trading at now, but it's over 200, I think, maybe 300. And then finally, Evan Williams came to me, and we're having brunch. He said, let me show you Twitter. You text 40404 what you're having for breakfast, and we sign you up. And Biz says he's having the scrambled eggs, and I'm having the tofu. And I said, you know, Evan, you're going backwards in your career. You did blogging, and that was a big success you sold to Google, and now you've taken the blog post out, and you've left just the title. If Twitter succeeds, it's going to be a cacophony of idiots. People who have no ability to write a paragraph are going to be up all day and all night writing fragments of sentences like complete idiots. It's going to destroy society, and, and sure enough, I was right. <laughs> But it's a $50 million mistake. And that's when I sort of decoupled my opinion and my ability to pick winners with my ability to pick really good friends and hang out with smart people, which is what you picked up on when you met me, which was I had an idea from journalism and from just being a hustling kid from Brooklyn who was full of shit and who was really good at what they did. And once I realized that, when Travis came up to me and said, hey, can I show you Uber Cab? I said, can I invest? And he said, do you want to see it? I said, yeah, you can show it to me. Wait, wait, wait. I'm going to ask you all about Uber. Yeah. In a second, let's not... But anyway, that's when I switched my thinking. And I think it's good advice, actually, to invest in yourself for a period of time. But if you have a really good network and you start investing in other people, that can work out pretty well, too. So uh, I gave you bad advice 15 years that you followed for two decades. I'm sorry. <laughs> God no, it was good it. advice at the time. You needed a lot of work. Frankly. I know, I needed a lot of work. You did work. need some it work. Did. We it both probably, did. It was probably the best advice. Candidly, we both needed work. So, so, so this is related, though, to something you've say, you say throughout the book. Uh, you know, you don't want to invest in, or not that you don't want, you don't invest in billion dollar companies. You try to invest in billion dollar people, which imply not everybody kind of knows billion dollar people. There's a lot of work involved in, in doing that. And you discuss some of your, or you discuss many of the networking techniques yeah. that angels should do, that founders should do, startups should do, investors should do, and so on in this book. And, and I think you cover all the basics. I feel, though, like through your career, just having known you all these years, you've done even more than that. Like you, Because of the journalism, you went out of your way to like hunt down people. And, you, and you gave, Silicon Alley Reporter, as a start, gave you a vehicle to say, hey, I'm calling from... Silicon Alley reporter, can I sit down and talk to you? Sure. And how would you suggest someone who's starting to build their network right now? So just to be clear, to to I believe I believe your advice now that to be a great angel investor, the most one of the most important things is having a great network. Sure. And I think there's things outside of the book even that you've done, and so maybe you could address that. Yeah, it's um, 
it's very important to have a, a strong network, right? And and being fearless about contacting people and being able to take a lot of no's before you get a yes. And, you know, that was my life as the Silicon Alley reporter was just kind of, it was kind of laughable. I used to run around with my little luggage cart with the magazines on it and, and just drop the magazines off at people's offices because I couldn't afford to UPS the magazines. So I would just drop them off in person. But every time I would drop them off, somebody would come out from behind the back and say, oh, hey, I'm Nicholas Butterworth from SonicNet. I love your magazine. I'd say, great, here's 20 copies. Will you give them to your friends? I'd say, yeah, of course I will. Uh, do you want to see what we're working on? So I, I realized, you know, just being interested in other people, which you've read in some other self-help books helps. But specifically with angel investing, and I wrote the book, not just for people who want to angel invest, but also for founders to see how this process works. You know, being able to, um, if you look at 25 startups that are under five people right now, right, and you see them all coming up on AngelList every day or My Syndicate, Jason's Syndicate, or Seed Invest or Republic, all these places you can sign up to see the deal flow. Um, if you were a great salesperson, you could just say, hey, I provide um, sales support and I was looking at your website. I know you're hiring three salespeople. I think that those uh, job descriptions aren't perfect. Uh, so I rewrote one of them for you, and, and here it is. And if you need help with sales, just let me know. And be of service to people and to, to give more than you expect back in return. That's what I was actually doing with the magazine. I kept putting people on the cover. I kept inviting people to parties, and all this goodwill built up. And over time, I was able to tap that goodwill in angel investing and other things I did. So I think being of service and helping people without any expectation of return is something very unique to the technology industry. Other industries, Hollywood, et cetera, they're a little bit sharp elbowed. But even to this day, our industry, people really like to help each other. And if you don't understand how to do some technical thing, yeah, sure, I'll help you. And yeah, maybe someday you'll help me, maybe someday you won't. Um, but that really is the key to being successful. I think it's an arms race between all the angel investors out there and venture capitalists to see who can help a startup more. So the way I look at the competition between myself and other angels and even though there's not really competition because there's room for all of us, I just try to provide as much value as I can. And I provide as much or more value to my failed startups than I do the successful ones. And I provide even more value, I hope, to the people I don't invest in. Well, let me ask you about that. Like you say you provide a lot of uh, value, uh, maybe even more so to the failed startups. Sure. Does it worry you? And and, and, and I, I, I do want to backtrack in a second to, to kind of the basics of uh, founders versus investors in the book, but when you're when you have a failed startup that's always calling you for help, yeah. at some point, don't you just say, "Okay, look, you've you've reached the limit of how many times you can call me, and that must mean you're going to go to zero, and no. I'm moving on to helping Uber." Never, I but, never but, do that. But at some point, you must say to yourself, "No, I wait I, for them to say it." Really? So yeah, I, if somebody's drowning, I'll jump in the river, I'll chase them down, and, and you know, no matter what it takes, or no matter how much time it takes. I'm just curious, like, do you, yeah. do you help them see that, okay, now maybe is the time to... They generally get there themselves. Uh, what I tell them in the beginning is, most startups fail. I'm investing in your company. We're going on this journey together. If it does fail, and when they have that failure conversation where like, hey, we only have six weeks left or six days left, we're going to shut down. I say, listen, it's okay to shut down. I, most companies fail. Therefore, all I ask is that we shut this down gracefully. And after you recover... Um, I'm your first phone call when you have your next idea. And, and part of this, again, is this, this relates back to just the whole notion of communication. Yeah. So I feel like half the people reading this book might be founders who are looking at angels like yourself or others sure. to invest. And half the people reading this book want to figure out how to turn 100000 into 
let's just say 10 million, okay, for sure. most people, or 1 million, yeah. you know, whatever it is. So, so, so there's investors and, and there's founders, and you have really great sections on how founders should communicate after an investment and also sure. how angels should communicate. And you just said, just to, just to summarize, before even that level, you could kind of break in and, and start building your network by thinking of very smart and intelligent ways to help a wide variety of people without expectation of return. That's almost like step zero before you could then Yeah, it's a good life lesson is just to, to provide more than you're trying to get back. And what I tell people is just make $1,000 investments. If you were going to do this seriously, your first 10 investments should just be $1,000 into you know, a random number of syndicates on AngelList or on Seedinvest, but act as if you put in 10000 or or 100000 so now you're getting the experience um, and you're building the network as if you put 100000 in. The, the founder's looking at you like, you put $1,000 in you're providing all this value. They love you. They think this person's demented. Like, why are they doing this? But then over time, you get this reputation of being just psychotically helpful. Well, right? and also, as you say, uh, as you mentioned in the book, on LinkedIn, you could say, you don't have to say the $1,000. You could say, oh, I'm an investor in you know, Slack, yeah. uh, Uber, Ship, whatever it is. For so, sure. So, and actually, one of the most successful angels in history told me at one point, oh, I, I bought secondary shares in Facebook and Twitter uh, and Uber when they were $10 billion, $5 billion. So I'm not an angel, but everybody assumes I am because I'm an angel in the other companies. And so put those boilerplates on his... But then he gets page. the calls. But then he gets the calls, and when the press talks about it, and they say, oh my God, he invested in Twitter. Because what, I mean, one of the things you mentioned is that it's not, it, not only is it about meeting the billion-dollar people, but it's about, it, it, it's easy to write them a check. It's hard to get them to cash your check. Because you have sure. to, at that level, someone who's delivering such value and inve that investors know about, uh, they have to decide whose checks they're going to cash. They're not out there begging for money. It's true, but most of these startups um, are pretty awkward when they start, and they have four or five rounds of financing that they would accommodate angels into. So passing on an investment round um, and getting to know the founder and just telling them, hey, put me on your monthly update, and then replying to the monthly update where they talk about you know, their, the wins and the losses and what's going on in their startup and being helpful to that, even though you didn't invest, that's like the master stroke. So I get about 100 updates a month consistently from companies I passed on. Now you're going to get another 200. Now out of the 150 today. companies I do invest in, probably only 75 of them send me updates. So there are 75 companies I've invested in who will not send me an update. The number of companies I pass on investing in, they, they send updates. So then I, anytime those companies come back to me and ask for more money, if they're doing a bridge financing, I say, great, we'll do the bridge financing. Totally stoked. Here's a side letter that says you agree to send monthly updates now. And they're like, totally, I should have been doing that all along. You were right. And that monthly update becomes this great cadence between the investor and the founders where they just say, hey, here's what's working, here's what's not. And if you're not getting those updates, it's a 99% chance the company's going out of business and a 1% chance it's Uber or Thumbtack or one of these you know, breakout successes. Um, even Uber sends a quarterly update to investors. But, so, you know, it's interesting because even a failing company as you say, when they stop communicating, it's usually a sign that things are going bad or they're going to fail. Which is when they need you most. Uh, either when they need you most or they need to communicate with you the most so that you say, okay, they're going down, but they communicated with me to the bitter end. So when they start up shop again, which inevitably they will do, right. I am there also. So communication is kind of important no matter what's happening on both sides, but really from the, the founder side, from that perspective. But I want to I um, just explain to the audience something you said, which is about 
you know, investing through syndicates on AngelList. I think most people think of angel investing as, well, don't you need like, don't I need to put like half a million dollars in this or a hundred thousand dollars in that? But because of new laws and new websites like an angel list or a republic, yeah. it is possible to sort of say, oh, I wanna I wanna see what Jason Calcanis is investing in. Yeah. You've set up a syndicate on AngelList, meaning people could actually see what your deals are. You that an automatic email gets sent Oh, Jason Calcanis has reserved four hundred thousand dollars for this deal. Do you want in? And then people can't. There, yeah. there actually is now the technology and the option for yeah. people to invest thousand dollars per deal of your deal, and they can pick and choose just from your deals. Right. And about half the companies I invest in agree to syndicate their deal. Um, and we actually moved off of AngelList to Jason Syndicate. We do it directly now because we have about thirteen hundred people on that list. And for Cafe X, the robotic coffee company I've been working on, and I mentioned in the book, which has been doing very well and is like incredibly promising, we. Um, we, uh, oh, let me see, is this public? Don't tweet this part. But uh, I think they just, they might have this just raised. This is a podcast, so. So it's going to be delayed. <laughs> anyway, a company that I'm associated with that has done very well, that is not Cafe X, um, <laughs> has raised over a million dollars in the last syndicate, and we broke a record. And so when you think about that, angel investing is really changing to um, become the early stage venture capitalist. So I put 100K into something, and 10 for one people come and invest alongside me. That's super exciting for me because those 99 people are now part of one little LLC company and it's like our little posse and I sign the paperwork for everybody so they don't have to deal with any headaches. They don't have to deal with anything. Nothing, they just wire their money and they get their shares. Um, and what's great about it for the founder is now they can email those 99 people and say, hey, we're trying to put, I don't know, I'm just pulling something out of the air here, um, a robotic coffee machine into the lobby of Google. Does anybody know anybody at Google? And then two people in the city go, I work at Google. Like literally I have people in Google who work in my syndicate. I have famous authors. I have famous people who work at Disney in my syndicate. Everybody wants to angel investors, some famous athletes, like literally some very famous NBA player DM'd me last night. And it's like, I bought your book. It's awesome. Blah, blah. And I was like, Brian, who is this person? I got a check mark. He's like, oh yeah, that's the guy on the team that won the championship. I was like, oh yeah, that's a cool guy. So, um, you know, he's going to be getting in there and investing alongside of us. It's super exciting. And you can just put $1,000 down. And I think at the end of the day, most people, um, and this is actually something that Elon Musk said to me at one point. He said, you know, Jason, most people overestimate the downside risk. And I'd always stuck in my head because he's building rockets, right? Like there's a lot of downside risk to people, you know, and he's, in, he's building cars. Like cars can flip over. People can die in a fiery inferno. Like people can die at the top of the rocket ship. Rocket ships can blow up. They can come out of the sky. It's like, it's actually, he's in a pretty dangerous business. Um, but there really isn't a lot of downside to risking 5% of your net worth or 10% of your net worth. It's just that we've all been- Not in one investment, but Never in, total. in one investment, but in total, right? You would never want to put that much of your net worth into one investment. You would want to put no more than like a fraction of 1% you probably want to invest in 20 or 30 startups over some two, three, four year period to have a little bit of diversification and some learning and do small investments and then bigger sized investments as you go, right? And doubling down on the winners, which we can talk about. But, you know, we, we are very conservative creatures and we don't like to take a lot of risk. And you have to unlearn your own biology. The biology of humans is, hey, if somebody swims across that river, they're going to get eaten by a crocodile. If somebody goes over that mountain, there's like a whole bunch of lions on the other side. So we're just fearful creatures who are just scared of dying constantly. And now we live forever. And the only way we die is when like, you know, we kill ourselves or, you know, some random event occurs or we eat ourselves to death, right? Like it's, 
really interesting how humans die now. It's like self-inflicted wounds. In I know part. so many people have eaten themselves to death. So. Basically is what's happening. Like it's going to get to the point where, you know, in some sectors of society, suicide is actually becoming, you know, very sadly, the number one cause. And the reason that is, is because all the other ways to die, we're figuring out ways to keep ourselves from dying, right? Self-driving cars will get rid of one of the leading causes of death in our lifetime. So putting all that aside, um, we're very fearful. And what you have to start doing is saying, you know what, if there's a 1% chance that this idea could succeed, it's worth pursuing. But we live in this society where everybody wants to like list all the reasons of why things can't work. And I sit there and you know, sometimes I'll share an investment somebody like, oh yeah, that, that won't work because it didn't work these other times. And I'm like, you know, Google was the 11th search engine, right? Like YouTube was like the 50th video site. And even Uber and Lyft, they were like the 10th people to try doing cabs on, you know, hailing cabs through your phone. A company here in New York, Vindigo, used to let you text to get a cab to come to your location. It oh, didn't yeah, work. I kind of remember that. And Vindigo had it. And I remember writing about it as a journalist. So, you know, we, we overestimate the downside risk. If I took, you know, 10 people and I said, here's a deck of cards. Pull the ace of spades. It'll cost you $1,000 to pull one card out of the deck. And you're like, $1,000? Yeah, you have to hit the ace of spades. They're like, that's crazy. Well, what do you win? I'll give you a million dollars. They'll be like, no, I'm not doing that. But anybody who can do basic math would be like, yeah, I'll do that all day long. How many times will you let me do this? And what happened was when I moved to Los Angeles, um, I started playing poker at very small tables and I started learning about gambling and watching degenerate gamblers and their psychology. It was very fascinating. And there were some people who just loved to lose. They loved to get really frustrated and they would leave the poker table on a loss, right? And then there were other people I would watch win consistently and they would win. And after they won a big hand, they would go like eat a sandwich and come back to the table, play three or four more hands and then they'd pack it in and leave, right? And so people have to understand their own brain chemistry when they're investing. And one thing that happens with angel investing is people place a couple of bets. They place the bets that are too big in the beginning. They play too high stakes for their knowledge basis. The second year comes around and two out of three of their startups or four out of five are now dying or need to raise funding. And they're like, oh my God, this is the worst thing I ever did. Angel investing sucks. What they don't realize is if one out of the five or two of the 10 or three of the 10 are still alive, something special is going on with them and it will probably pay off more or hopefully will pay off much more than one to five, right? It will be much more than a five to one ratio. And so I, when I look at startups now, I don't look at all the reasons of why it will fail. I'll write them down sometimes. Uh, and then I usually rip that page up and then I just list the one or two reasons of why it will work. So here's all the reasons why it's not gonna work, but here's the one or two things that could go right that'll make it work. And all of these ideas seem absolutely crazy. The idea that you would allow somebody to sleep on your couch we're in your extra bedroom. When I heard that idea, and I didn't have a chance to invest, but I heard the idea very early, and I was like, oh, like a serial killer? And the person's like, no, 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 no. It's not for serial killers. I'm like, oh, okay, who's it for? It's like, it's for people who can't afford hotel rooms. I'm like, but hotel rooms are like $49 or $99, it's cheap ones. They're like, yeah, but it's like a more of a unique experience. And you know, for the person who's host, they really enjoy hosting. I'm like, like serial killers. <laughs> They're like, no, it's not for serial killers. I'm like, Airbnb sounds like it's for serial killers and for meth heads. And like, sure enough, everybody remembers the story. It's like meth head rents apartment, trashes it. Woman comes home, all of her belongings are ripped up. A bunch of people on meth were like going through her photos and drawing pictures on them. It was like the scariest, craziest, you know, horror film ever. And um, that's exactly, it's another example of like, yes, here's a terrible reason of why this won't work. But people are still Airbnb in their home. How many people here have stayed in Airbnb? Raise your hand. 
you people are fucking crazy. Like, <laughs> I, well, how so, do you do it? How many people have rented their house out? Raise your hand. Okay, now keep your hand up if you were in the house when there was another person in the house. You people are truly insane. <laughs> how do you know they're not gonna kill you, right? But this is my thinking. This is my, and right back to conservative thinking, like, I don't even need to understand if Airbnb is going to work if that many people are gonna raise their hand. But of course, in the beginning, it was just those five crazy people who would stay in the apartment with the person. Now, those five crazy people, if you talk to them, they would be able to sit there and tell you why this is such a great idea. And that's one of the secrets to angel investing is separate, you have to really separate your limited capacity to understand ideas and then be able to read the passion of the person creating the product and why they're creating it and why it's gonna work now and those crazy five customers. You just ask yourself, can those five crazy people turn into the maybe 40 people in the room who are hosts and then 90% of the room has stayed in Airbnb at this point? And that really is the secret to being a great investor. It's just removing your ability to know if this idea is gonna work and doubling down on your ability to know if the person is going to succeed. I think uh, you know there's a there's a critical thing there because if something's going to be, uh, you know, you you specifically say in this book this this book is not about rent, uh, investing in restaurants or laundromats or anything like that. This is investing in potentially billion dollar opportunities. Yeah. And almost by definition, if someone's got an idea and the minimal execution that's going to start to lead to a billion dollar execution, they're going to have more passion and knowledge for it than you will. So like, just like you mentioned in the examples before with Mark Pincus, Elon Musk, and um, Ed Williams about Twitter, they all said stuff and you were like, oh no, this is the downfall of society. You're moving back in, in your career. And you were kind of right on all of your premises. There's no arguing with what you were saying. And yet those people all created, you know, $10 billion plus companies at some point in their yeah. existences. And we'll continue to do so. So now I just invest in the arc of a founder's career. So I just look at every investment as, okay, I'm going to invest in James three times. The first time it's going to be zero. The second time it's going to be double my money. And then the third time it'll be, a hundred times. Okay, I'll send you my wire info. I literally got a, uh, I, I would bet on you. Um, I literally got a call from an investment before I, I left San Francisco and he said, I got great news for you. I said, okay, what's that? You know, because they were meeting for their Series A and I had a bunch of VCs trying to get into the Series A and two of them were like, your CEO didn't call us back. And I'm like, and, and then they told us that we're out and that they did, we didn't get the deal, but nobody knows who did the deal. So all these VCs, like they met with 10, like no, nobody, Four of them gave term sheets and they all start talking to each other. They're starting to unravel that nobody got the deal. And then they're all coming to me as the primary angel saying what happened. And then he goes dark on me, the CEO. I'm like, so I can't return their call. Like it's embarrassing your CEO goes dark on you. So I'm like third phone call into the CEO. I'm like, you gotta really call me back and tell me what's going on here. He calls me back, he goes, listen, we're getting bought. We decided to sell that. So hold on, that's great. He's like, I got really good news for you. You're gonna make five times your money in 18 months. And I said, this is the worst phone call I've had all year. And he said, what? You, you're going to make a half million dollars. And I said, I, I wasn't in it to make a half million dollars. I, this could, you could go 50X from here. You go 500X from here. Why are we stopping now? If that company with this huge brand name sent their CEO to beg you to buy it and you guys fell for it, like, don't take the money. I'll round up these other VCs to buy your stupid partners out and We'll get them some money. We'll give you money to get you a million dollars to sell some of your shares so you can buy an apartment. Let's keep going. He's like, my other two partners outvoted me. I, I, I wanted to do that. I can't. And I'm just like, okay, you have to promise me one thing. Because you know, when you're an investor and you have a lot of shares, you got to sign off on this. And 
you know, you, you always, you never want to stop a founder from making 10 million bucks or 15 million bucks. It's, it's life changing money for them. And it's a dream to get sold to a big company. I understand all that. I was there in my life at one point. Um, and I said, okay, I'll do it. You have to promise me that when you have your next idea, I'm your first, I'm the first phone call and you let me be the first investor. He goes, I would never do a business without talking to you, of course. And I said, no, no, that's not the agreement I'm looking for. I want you to agree right now on the phone that I get to be the first investor in your next company. He goes, okay, I'll let you be the first investor. I said, great, I'll sign off. Good luck, Mazel Tov. I'll see you in two years when you're, you know, when your sentence is up, as it were. And this has happened two or three times now where the founders come to me for the next company and boom, you know. Well, they, you look at a lot of these, um, a lot of these guys that you've mentioned already, uh, and let's just take those three you mentioned, uh, Mark Pincus, Ev Williams, and... Um, Elon Musk. Elon Musk. Yeah. Uh, people don't realize Elon Musk, like Tesla is his third or fourth. Yeah. You know, there was Zip2, then PayPal, yeah. then Tesla. Mark Pincus had Tribe and something else. And then uh, Zynga. And Ed Williams, of course, had Blogger.com. Odeo. So, so yeah, and Odeo, which became Twitter. Mm -hmm. So all of these people kind of had their little startups, not little, I mean, like Zip2 got sold for a lot of money. A hundred million. They, yeah, so then, and the, but they had their, they were already experienced in the space, which is yeah. part of what you're saying is piggyback a little bit, you don't use these words explicitly, but piggyback a little bit on those more experienced and potentially smarter than you, not only on their industry, but on business in general. Yes and no. So the counter to that would be um, uh, Facebook, Steve Jobs, and Bill Gates. But are those anecdotes? Because I, I want to say about your Bill Those, Gates one. Well, Bill Gates had very rich parents, obviously, and his mother was on the board of a company that was the company that needed to get basic. But there's no way you, to predict that. There's no way to predict that, but there were angel investors in these companies. And so there are a lot of people who hit it out of the park the first time. So I always like to be very open-minded about that possibility too. Thumbtack, um, I was the second or third investor in, and they became worth a billion dollars. And it took them three or four years to figure out exactly what the business was. But I just looked at Marco, who is the founder of the company, and when I asked him questions about why he was doing what he was doing with Thumbtack, his answers were so rich and passionate and detailed that I thought, this person is an incredible craftsman. He, there's an attention to detail to what they're doing. And there are certain people in the world who have an attention to detail and care about nuance. I'll always remember I was at the Sony Club with Barry Wine in the back here, and we were having sushi, and somebody left a bottle of Fantastic on the counter. I don't know if he remembers the story, but they used to clean the tables and they, they, even with the bottle of Fantastic, they had the little spray bottle, they had taken the labels off of it and made it perfectly white so it looked good. But the person left it on a table and just for a second. And I noticed it, Barry noticed it. He called somebody over, he said, just don't ever leave the bottle on the table, right? It's like that maniacal sense of detail that most people don't see. That's what greatness is about is an attention to detail that's unnecessary, right? And the great founders all have that. They're thinking about all these details and maybe individually some of them don't matter, but almost universally they have some level of craftsmanship to what they do and certainly a presence to them that they really want the details to be refined and well thought out. Why are we doing this? Is there a better way to do it? And, and they can be really annoying people. Like when you meet them, they're not visionaries, they're assholes and you know, they're, they're not like incredibly uh, deft at what they're doing. They're, they're kind of stubborn, right? And so almost universally, you can meet people and they, they can be very uncomfortable to deal with. And I had some the other day and they're like, 
my God, yeah, I was doing this founder. He's incredibly uncomfortable. Like in the meeting, it was just like, you know, he was just like literally had an answer for everything. I was like, can you introduce me? He's like, no, no, I'm telling you, this person is just like a complete asshole. I was like, I need to meet this person quickly. <laughs> like if they're this, if this VC is having such a hard time with this person's opinions, maybe there was something there. Now, not always, some people are just jerks, but some people get perceived to be jerks, right? Because they fervently believe that the world needs to change. And most people, they're kind of lazy and don't want the world to change. So this like story came out in the New York Times about Jeff Bezos and Amazon and how it's the worst place in the world to work. And I was like, I know a lot of people who work at Amazon for Jeff Bezos and they are loyal to him like Navy SEALs. Like this is like a level of loyalty and, you know, passion for that company. So I was like, what is this story about in the, in the, in the New York Times where everybody, I was like, oh, they went on Glassdoor and they found everybody who couldn't cut it in the Navy SEALs and asked them, what do you think of the Navy SEALs? And they're like, well, yeah, Navy SEALs sucks because I quit the Navy SEALs during Navy SEALs training. It's like, oh, okay, it just wasn't a match for you, right? And that's the thing where, you know, Steve Jobs was known for being a bit difficult at times. Some people are just not meant to do startups and work at them. And that's okay because it is an unhealthy pursuit at times. And I think, I think though, okay, so it might not be the case that like a Zuckerberg or even a Steve Jobs is just <laughs> anecdotal. There's some mixture. But I think, you know, your description and this book is almost like a guidebook, how to get into the game, yeah. how to build into the game, how to grow into it, how to succeed. And then also if you're a founder, yeah. how to be the type of founder that others invest in, which is what you're discussing now. Sure. But uh, I, think, I think a lot of it is first avoiding mistakes. And you discussed that a little bit. Don't put $300,000 per investment if that's all your money or whatever. Put $1,000 into 10 investments and, and start to get the feel. And you could also, not only do you, are you, it's not like someone's knocking on your door asking for $1,000. It's Jason Calcanis, his syndicate sent an email saying, yeah. I'm doing, I'm putting 30000 You could put in 1000 yeah. And you say yes to 10 of those, maybe across 10 different investors. Right. And then you look at who's co-investing in that deal. You build a little spreadsheet or a mailing list, and now you've got a hundred co-investors. And you contact them, and then you just email them, and you know, you just say, "Hey, I'm going to be in Silicon Valley. I'm going to be in Boston. I'm going to be in New York, wherever they are. Would you like to have coffee and maybe share some deals?" And when I was starting in angel investing, I just started emailing friends of mine and say, "Have you have you seen any interesting companies? I'm having the launch festival. I'm having a little conference. I'd love to meet them, or I'm having a dinner at my house, or you know, I'm going to be in town next week. Do you know anybody?" And that's how I met Thumbtack and a bunch of other companies. Just putting the word out there that I was looking for companies to invest in because the, re the way I really got into angel investing was, one, I missed all these great companies, but I had introduced two of those three to Sequoia Capital, which had invested in my company. And after I told them, you have to, I told the top VCs there, you have to go to Twitter tomorrow. You have to close this deal. Time's running out. This is going to be one of the most important companies of our time. This is after I realized like I was wrong and mm. <laughs> missed the angel, but the series A was happening. And I said, you have to do this. They missed the deal. Fred Wilson won it, but that in their mind got them thinking, wow, some of our founders are well-connected. Let's give them a small amount of money to invest and we'll split the returns with them 50-50. They never realized that that portfolio would be worth $200 million or more now. And myself and Sam uh, Altman from um, Y Combinator fame now, he did Stripe and his position in that became worth 25 million or 50 million or something. And then my Uber position, my Thumbtack position became worth 200 million. That fund was outperforming the Sequoia fund that it was in parallel to, I, I believe. 
So they realized, wow, these little bets are really paying off. Um, and I did my first 15 to 20 investments because they just told me, here's free money, go invest it. Then I raised my own fund and you know, things started to scale a little bit more. And now I've done 150 investments. And the reason I wrote the book was really, I don't think that becoming wealthy is, it's really changed in this century compared to last century. Like when I was growing up in Bear Ridge and coming into the city and trying to figure out what my hustle was gonna be and how I would get rich and how I'd be important in the world, they kind of told me when I was going to Severian High School, like be a banker, be a lawyer, be a cop, whatever, blue collar, white collar, some good job, marry somebody who also has a good job and then buy a home. Bring peanut butter and jelly to lunch, don't go out to eat, do a staycation, try to leverage that home after 20 years into a second home or maybe have a basement apartment you can rent out. And it was kind of rich dad, poor dad and all that kind of stuff is how you get wealthy. Well, at that time when my parents bought their house and when I was growing up, the average household income, the average home was maybe one to one and a half times what the average household income was. So if you made $75,000 in household income, your house would be 75 or 150. My parents bought their brownstone for 50,000 in Bay Ridge. Now, two people who are attorneys or accountants in the city who make $300,000 combined, what would they have to spend to live in one of the boroughs around us here? A million, two million, three million? So it's three, four, five, ten times as much money to, to parlay that deal. And that strategy I think is broken, especially since people are getting out of school with $100,000 in debt. So how are people gonna move up, right? If you choose to do that, if you really wanna do that, I believe that angel investing or somehow getting on the cap table of high growth startups is my best advice. Being an entrepreneur is one way to get on the cap table. Although then being an entrepreneur, it's sort of like you're making this huge time investment into one sure. investment. But you might be able to do three or four in your life. And if, three out of, if two out of three fail and one out of three succeeds, you have a chance in a lifetime of making it work. But most people give up after one, which is one of the mistakes of entrepreneurs, as you know. Um, the other way to do it is to be an employee. That's okay, but you have a small amount of stock and it, it generally is not gonna pay off. It's, it would be like you know hitting the bullseye on the first shot. And you point out you're, you're probably not gonna wanna be an employee and own stock in let's say New York City. There's San Francisco, as you point out, yeah. is the only place that's created these billion and then 10 billion and then $100 billion. Yeah, we've had a couple quick, of quick market cap companies. There's been billion dollar companies here Tumblr, Etsy, Kickstarter, DoubleClick, iVillage for a period of time. Uh, so it happens, but it's very hard to make a $10 billion or $100 billion company anywhere but the valley. It's only happened a handful of times. Um, the third way to get on the cap table is to be a consultant, which you've done and which I believe, right? You've been an advisor to companies and I've had you know, single and double success doing that. I think that's a great way for young people to do it. It's be an advisor to five startups a year, trade some service that you're great at, a designer, developer, charge them half cash, get half stock, have it vest every month. Uh, that's a good hack. And then angel investing is the fourth one. And angel investing is quickly becoming democratized with these syndicates. And now there's something called Reg D, which is non-accredited investors, which is why I wanted to write the book now. And it was very interesting. Like I meet, I meet a lot of people in life who like write books and not you, but other people. Well, you uh, have met me and I do I have met you, you write books. Your <laughs> books are good and you've been very successful, right? You've built million dollar, multi-million dollar companies. You've done really well for yourself. But most of the time when I meet somebody who writes a book, I'm like, I know this person. They're kind of dumb. And they hand me their book and I'm like, oh my God, thank you so much for your book. And then I just think, why would I ever read a book written by somebody who's dumb or who doesn't have any success, right? Mm -hmm. And then I ask sometimes my friends who are writing this book, why'd you write this book? And they're like, well, I wanna be a subject matter expert. I wanna be a thought leader on this topic. I'm like, and we all have to suffer through your book 
to make you a thought leader? Like, this is not how it should work. You should only write a book if you have some level of expertise on it, right? And after I hit about 100 investments, I thought, this is a book actually, because there's very few people who have ever broken 100 investments, let alone three or four unicorns, and now it's six unicorns. And I really wanted to write the book because I do think that society has changed a whole lot. And the ability to be upwardly mobile and having grown up with a mom who's a, you know, a nurse and a dad who is a bartender and really growing up struggling for money, right? Like you could be in the middle class, but if you don't have any money and you're in debt, you're, you're kind of like poor essentially. And you're living month to month. And I would say 100% of their fights were over money. Right, I think about any bad moment in my childhood. It was it was literally about money, like a car being broken. We couldn't do something. Things were kind of coming off the the rails because of money. And I really think that there is an opportunity for people. It's harder for people now to change, you know, where they are. Social mobility is very difficult. And I found a hack. And I believe in my heart it works, and it will change people's lives. And that's why I want to write the book now. Let's stop to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Payroll and benefits are hard, especially for small businesses that don't have a human resources person on staff. I like to deal with the product, with the customer, with all the business issues, but all of those details are just too difficult for me by myself or any small business manager to handle. Thankfully, Gusto has your back. Gusto offers the best clear and automated payroll for the modern small business. From unlimited and off-cycle payrolls to direct deposit, multiple states and pay rates, Gusto can help you with any and all of your payroll needs. You can even integrate Gusto with your accounting software such as QuickBooks or Xero to make payroll that much easier. Not to mention, Gusto automatically files and pays your payroll taxes, compiles and sends your W-2s and 1099s, and submits new hire forms so you can truly set it and forget it. It's a streamlined platform that lets you take care of your team with payroll, benefits, and HR all in one place. One login, one password to remember. And better yet, with Gusto's simple, reliable technology and great customer service, you'll spend less time on paperwork and more time on what you truly care about, which is your business. It's no wonder PC Mag and Fit Small Business have called Gusto the best payroll for small businesses. Sign up for Gusto today. Go to gusto.com slash James and get started with one month of payroll for free. That's gusto.com slash James. The Casper is an obsessively engineered mattress at a shockingly fair price. Supportive memory foams create an award-winning sleep surface with just the right sink and just the right bounce. Try Casper for 100 nights risk-free in your own home. If you don't love it, they'll pick it up and refund you everything. Casper understands the importance of truly sleeping on a mattress before you commit, especially considering you're going to spend a third of your life on it. Free shipping and returns to the United States and Canada. With over 20,000 reviews and an average of 4.8 stars, it's quickly becoming the internet's favorite mattress. Sleeping on a Casper has changed the way I feel in the morning. I've actually stopped switching homes just for the moment now because I want to stay in one place with my Casper. It's the best investment I can make for myself, my health, and my creativity. 
Get $50 towards any mattress purchased by visiting www.casper.com slash James and using offer code James. Terms and conditions apply. Let's say I'm reading this book. Yeah. And I'm listening to this podcast or I'm in the audience and I don't live in the valley and I haven't yet gone through... The, the real years of work it would require to, to network properly yeah. and meet the, the the billionaire type of person. Here's what I personally, I see this as a great guidebook for for everybody, but here's what I personally would do because there's lots yeah. of different directions to go. Sure. So I would say, okay, I'm going to find the top 10 angel investors out there just by track record. It's just like I got their baseball records sure. and I know who they are. Yep. And they're all, they all have either syndicates on AngelList or one of these other sites. Or they're on Twitter. Or, or, yeah, or they're on Twitter. But, but, but on AngelList or, or your site Crunch directly base, yeah. or Republic, uh, I can sign up and I can legally see, oh, here's what Jason Kalkanis is going in next. Here's yep. what Naval Ravikant's going in next and, yep. and other of the, the big angel investors out there. And I'm going, Jason just explained to me I could put in a thousand dollars. I'm going to take ten thousand dollars out of my salary this year. I could put a thousand dollars into ten of these investments. I'll do everything he says. Start networking with with the companies. I don't need to live in Silicon Valley yet. I'm no. not. I'm not going for the hundred million yet. I'm just going to to, to get experience to learn. Next year, I'll put two thousand dollars maybe in t- ten to twenty or five to twenty of the companies. It seems like smart for me to always leverage off your. And and di- I, to diversify you and leverage off all of that experience, yeah. rather than spend thirty years trying to get it, I could just piggyback on sure. all of your experience. And you know, this is this is my playbook and what I've learned. And I'm I'm going to do another hundred fifty investments as my plan. Then I'll be at three hundred, and we'll see if I could be the goat angel investor, right? Like kind of my goal, just you know, be be the best ever. Um, but Why is that your goal? Well, you know, and I ask that because yeah, that's you a good had, you're, you're one of the first people to create a blogging platform and really say, okay, bloggers need, and here we are in, a, in the next wave of that Squarespace. We're sitting yeah. in, their, in their headquarters. But you created Weblogs Inc. back in the early OOs. I remember even visiting you when you were sitting at some hotel on, on 57th Street, like, and you were showing me the back end of the software. You were really proud of it. Yeah. And uh, uh, then you sold that to AOL for, I guess, 20 30, or 30 million, 30, 30 million. million. And... Uh, uh, you were a success. Like you had money. You even yeah. call. You even define that number in here. Twenty million. You reach escape velocity. Yeah. So, what now makes you think? Oh, I gotta. I'm not. It's not good enough yet. I gotta be the goat. <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. Um, I'll talk to my therapist about it next week and <laughs> see what see she what, she told me see what she that says. question. Yeah. No, we've been we've been working on this for a couple of years. Um, you know, I. I have thought about this a lot and I think you have to understand your own psychology in life. I have a very addictive gambling competitive personality and I've always have. And I've thought, tried to think about how to channel it in a healthy way. You know, you, you never see me drinking, right? And I'm like kind of focused on what I'm doing. And I, I'd like to have some audacious goal to work towards. Um, and I think part of my brand now, you know, as a public person is to overperform and to, to really sort of set unrealistic expectations and then sometimes hit them, right? And I think people don't do that enough. And when I grew up in Brooklyn, you know, the expectation was, you know, you'd be a great cop. And I took the, the cop test. I, you know, it was going to either be a cop or a fireman. 
And my brother went into the police force and I wound up going to Fordham at night. But I was kind of at Fordham at night going, you know what, they told me I should have been a cop. I probably should have been a cop. I thought I would be a great cop. I would have been either a really corrupt cop <laughs> and like done really bad things, like on an entrepreneurial basis, kind of. Um, <laughs> or I would have been like, Lieutenant. there he goes. I would have been Serpico. Everybody or, lock the doors. Jason. Yeah, uh, yeah I would have Sergeant been a great Jason's detective coming. probably. <laughs> um, I've always thought about that. God, if I would have been a cop, I would have been crazy. Um, but I kind of felt like when I was growing up that the crew I ran with, everybody was just told to have low expectations of themselves and to moderate their expectation. And I had a chip on my shoulder because I used to come across the train into Manhattan and I used to look at the magazine racks and I'd say to myself, how does one become famous or powerful? And I, you know, having given it a lot of thought, I realized the reason I wanted fame and power is because I had none and nobody expected I would have any. And that put a fire in me for a couple of decades. I don't have that same fire now, obviously I've made it, but I kind of feel like I'm an example to other people that if that guy can make it and if that guy can do it, I can do it. And that's what I really wanna do is try to inspire some people to maybe have their life change. And somebody on the line here just said to me, you know, I've been listening to your podcast, it's changed my life. And you probably have this happen with your podcast because you have a self-help podcast and people do this to you probably all the time. It's a pretty, pretty great feeling when somebody comes up to you and says, you know what, I, you said something at a conference, or you said something on your podcast, or you interviewed somebody, it changed my life. That to me is one of the best feelings you could ever have. It's you know up what? there with writing a check in somebody when nobody else believes in them. You know, right? it, it's a great feeling, but it's almost as much a hot potato in a weird way yeah, as some... feeling bad about yourself. Why? Because it's always external. Ah. Somebody said something to you sure. and you feel good. Yeah. It made you feel better than you were before, even a little bit. Yeah. And you crave it again. Yeah. Like like a like a dessert. That might be more you than me. James, <laughs> at this point. I, I'll talk to my therapist about yeah, we'll it. Yeah, talk to you. We could probably do well, a group couples thing. therapy. We could do a couples <laughs> therapy thing. Uh, we just play this video and then continue. Right. But um, you know, because I didn't have that, I used to come into the city and I just think, how do people get famous and how are people powerful? I don't know if anybody else who lived in the boroughs had the same experience as me, but you, kind of getting to Manhattan was the goal. You know, and if you came to a club in Manhattan and you, I would give them my ID, they would look and go, no B and T, and they'd hand it back to you. No bridge and tunnel. Uh, you know, if like I tried to get into the Palladium or the Limelight or the Tunnel, the Roxy, they would just like be like, Cafe Iguana, they'd be like, get the fuck out of here, Brooklyn, you know? <laughs> now it's like, if you have a Manhattan, if you have a Brooklyn ID and you go anywhere in the world, like, oh, Brooklyn's the greatest. Oh, Lena Dunham is us. Like, She's kind of annoying, isn't she? Um, but anyway, Brooklyn's really hip now, which is sort of super fascinating to me. But I had this great revelation when I was in the city at one point where I, I was sitting there at some, on St. Mark's and I was just like, I was looking at my magazines and I said, wow, being on the cover of a magazine makes you important. And then I was like flipping through and I saw the masthead and I was looking at all these names. I was like, who's Graydon Carter and who's Jan Wenner and who's David Hershkowitz? I was like, you know, the person who picks who's on the cover of the magazine is actually the important person. In my deranged mind, I thought that that was how you became powerful, was picking the person. That's why I started Silicon Eye Reporter. I wanted to be important. I wanted to pick the person so, on so the cover. So but that's interesting. You went from that like intense feeling to actually create, you were, you were the only magazine sure. for an entire one of one. industry yeah. that was created here for a good, you know, four or five years, five yeah. or six years. It's a pretty good run. So, so you know, and then... So, so, so let me give you... And I get a, by the way, just to continue that, I get a super big kick out of the fact that now in Silicon Valley, people have to deal with me 
because they really were not super accepting of me there either. Like when I first came out there and I was like investing, they were kind of like, ah, Calacanis, like, mm, he's in this deal. And now it's like people are just, the VCs are just like, what are you investing in? Oh, can you come by our offices and da, da, da. And it's like, yeah, it's nice to be respected for what you do and, and have some amount of power and you know ability to do good work in the world. And entrepreneurs are just, when I meet them in that five, when they have five people in their company and it's a six month old company, that's the most exciting time. Like I got a lot of offers to be a VC and do later stage stuff and put $50 million checks into company, $25 million checks in the company. And I just said, yeah, it's not me. I, I like this early stage when you can really just sit there and rap out about Uber or Thumbtack or Wealthfront or Robin, all these companies are getting really big now. And the founders are just trying to figure it out, you know? That's so, the really exciting point in time. So, so, so there, there is this level of uh, kind of self-awareness. This is what I love to do. Yeah. I don't like this, but I like this. Correct. Uh, you've made the money, yeah. but I want to keep doing it. And sure, let's assign a goal to it, but this is what I love doing today, is yeah. looking at these five, six-person startup companies. But let, let me, just based on this book, which in, kind of interweaves your story with the playbook. Yeah. I'm going to do the low expectation playbook. Okay, here we go. So, so because I sort of feel in, a, in, a, in some ways having low expectations could, could also be a path to happiness as well, as opposed to the kind of, um, I don't, I don't want to call it the myth of the hustle, but, right. but there's a, a low expectation way of, um, you know, not necessarily being realistic and, and achieving happiness that way, but, but succeeding without destroying yourself in some way. Sure. Which, which you haven't, I'm not saying you've done that at all. I'm just saying this is what I would do. Yeah. I would take your book, and it's like I said before, I would just sleep all day and put $1,000 in all the syndicates I could, in all of your deals. Why skip even one? Right. And, and, and you, you say in here, location, location, location. Move to Silicon Valley if you really want to make the dent that, that you've made. The returns, yeah. Right. Um, but I don't need to do that. I'm, I'm going to let Jason do that for me. He sure. works for me once I put $1,000 into this syndicate. Yeah. So I'm going to make the smartest investors in the world, in world history, work for me while I sleep in bed all day and watch Breaking Bad at night. And This and, is your version of success. This is my version, yes. It's pretty awesome. But that, it is pretty awesome, right? Yeah, Breaking Bad's that, awesome. Is that horrible? Yeah. So it's not horrible if I can, okay, yeah. a, a person doing that's not, but, and then step two is, all right, I'm in New York. I see there's like five other people in Jason Syndicate who we all did Thumbtack. Yeah. Hey, uh, let's meet for coffee. I think sure. maybe together we can all watch Breaking Bad. Some idea. We can watch Breaking Bad and we can discuss Thumbtack. I mean, we can yeah. all put Thumbtacks yeah. everywhere. And uh, it's not a bad way to go about it. The, you know, the way I look at angel investing, if you do want to do it, um, I think it's worth doing. And I think you can do it in as few as maybe 10 hours a week, like you're saying, the sort of low version of not it. Not me saying it. Your, your guidebook yeah. is a good way to, is yeah. one way of looking at your guidebook, not right. the only way. And here's a likely scenario. Let's say you were to lose all of it and you lost 5% of your net worth. It'd be a bummer. But if you think about the education, the network you would build, it would be much greater than 5% of your net worth at any given point in time. If you lost half your money, you would easily make it back in a year or two in the stock market or whatever, things that grow 7%. And if you just make back your money, you're in the game buying lottery tickets that could go to the moon. Right. And one of them is going to hit at some point, right? And you're building this network and you're hanging out with the people who want to change the world. So most people get into angel investing because they love the rush of it and being around all the people who are smart and driven in the world. 
I think you should be a little more discerning that discerning than that because founders can be incredibly charismatic and they can convince you to invest in their company. I mean, that's why they're the founder. That's why they're the leader. But that's why I would never want to direct. I, sure. That's why just starting out, even the first, I will say the first 10 years of starting out is a good time to study. But I'd I would still, say one year is good. All right, one year might be good. Yeah. But, but don't forget... When when did you really start angel investing? You probably were doing. You were probably in the business for ten years. Yeah, I was covering people as a journalist. I think journalism is probably and you you knew a lot. Being from the an journalism. operator of a company, a high growth company, or being a journalist covering them, both of those roles are very valuable because when you're a journalist and you understand the entire playing field and the arc of the history of business and technology and how these you know things go in cycles and why some new technology can turn over every single vertical and change them or not. You, you know how to ask the questions and figure out which founders are full of shit and which ones are actually going to change the world. And if you're an operator, you can look at the statistics and how the company's operating and then either help them make the make it operate better or identify operational excellence and invest based on that. Right. So so there's there's this knowledge that you built up sure. from from both years in the business as a reporter, meeting everybody and learning their their you know highs and lows. You know, building weblogs, things, selling that, so you actually yep. got experience as an operator, which helps you recognize the same kind of excellence in other operators. But also, you were you were doing things to always put yourself in the center of a network, having the one magazine, and sure. you even said, it, if I'm investing, I could put somebody on the cover of the magazine. Yep. I can make an write an article, or and then or the yeah. 100 list yeah, which you or, were on, or or yes, that's what was right. your number? I, I was I was very proud of it. I think I'll, I'll still remember. It was like 57 or something. You know, it's 57. We're, yeah, <laughs> you know, it's 57. So I was, I was proud of it. I we we framed it in our office. Um, There's a funny story between behind that. For reference, Silicon Alley Reporter would do the top 100 people in Silicon Alley every year. And the first year in 1996. We only found sixty people working in the internet industry. Oh, I'm fifty-seven. <laughs> well, no, you were in the second year, but um, for the first time. And when we got to sixty, we're like, "How do we find other people?" Because we were going to do the Silicon Alley twenty-five, and I was like, "Do a hundred, sounds better." And so we emailed everybody on the list, the sixty, and said, "Do you know anybody else working in the internet business?" And they say, "My lawyer, my accountant, this headhunter." So we literally put accountants and headhunters. Anybody, just fill it in the list. So this just gives you an idea of how meaningless lists really are. No, but how important they are too. But they're also super important because it gives piece of start, people a starting point. And this, so we get the list together. And I said, okay, now let's rank them. And everybody's like, rank them? What do you mean? I'm like, put them in order of importance. They're like, how could you ever determine the order of importance? I was like, good question. Um, let's start, right? So just tell me who's not important. Let's get the not importance and the very importance. And then put any, whoever's left is the middle. So we did that. And literally, it's like, okay, these are the top 30. These are the bottom 30. And here's the middle 30, you know, up in commerce, which is where you were, right? And you probably would define yourself as sure. such. And then, then we sat there and were like, what would make people really outraged if we picked them as number two instead of number one? And they're like, well, double click's the biggest. We're like, great, make them number two. Who should be number one? Like, this is my maniacal thinking. No, it's, it's was to whoever's number one, put them down a peg, make them number two because it'll make them go fucking mental. <laughs> and then put somebody in number one. That will make people go, oh, no, that's brilliant. And Jason's crazy like a fox. So we put Esther Dyson as number one because we're like, well, she was here first, and she was the first angel investor, and she's the smartest kid in the room, so we'll put her first, and we'll put DoubleClick that you know, has raised $100 million, which is absolutely the most successful company at this point in time, is number two. And it was that kind of thinking, making this, and then somebody said, you know, this is going to be incredibly de uh, divisive, and th you're going to make a lot of enemies, and it's going to be really controversial. I was like, let's get to work. Let's do it. 
And then after we did that first one, then all of a sudden the invites to the Knicks games and Nobu and all this shit started popping off. Like, hey, what are you doing? You want to go see the Knicks? I got floor seats, Patrick Ewing, blah, blah, blah. You want to go to Nobu? It's just open. Let's get some Toro. It was like a pretty smart that, move. That's the thing. Like, I, th I feel like you hit the accelerator on being um, the a center connector. of a network and, and yeah. building, building those connections and so on. But again, I want to I wanna add, you give a great guidebook to someone who has lower expectations yeah. to also You're very do kind that. About the, I, I appreciate you reading the book. You're but, a good friend but, for but, doing that. But I also I want, I want to now get to the, the founder side of this because again, you, 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 you say this book is kind of geared toward, it's called Angel, it's geared towards angel investing, but this is a really great guidebook to founders also yeah, looking for angel investing. and all that stuff, yeah. And you know, the, the things you say about communication, the things you say, you, you, you make all the definitions about how you structure each type of round, what does each type of round look like, what are side deals, there's so many like definitions and and hmm. you know kind of aspects of the nuances of the industry that people need to know that like you say most business books don't describe most business books are like okay hustle here and hustle there and and wake up motivated and blah 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 but this is this really is kind of okay I'm a founder I need to read this I'm an angel investor I need to read these chapters also good to know how the founders are thinking if they read this and so on but now Uber how the hell did you get into that? What happened? Uh, it's a good story. I had, best investment in history of the world, probably. It's up there. Yeah, the, uh, it's pretty amazing. Maybe the maybe what's his name, Andre? Who's the guy with, with the Google? The first There's a Google guy, Google. and then they, before they even incorporated, he put a hundred k in. Yeah, uh, he just went to his car and got a check and yeah. and brought it to their garage. But he and he yeah he he was betting on Larry and Sergey first time founders, right? Yeah. Um, well, I had known Travis because I interviewed him for Silicon Alley Reporter when he was doing a company called Scour, which was Napster, except it let you trade any file type. And one of the file types was movies. And the last action hero wound up in this peer-to-peer -peer Napster-like network. And Scour then got sued for a quarter trillion dollars. And he sat there and he was really nervous about it. And I did Why? this interview because no, he was 20 years old <laughs> and they literally, the movie industry, and Michael Ovitz was an investor, and Michael Ovitz's people came to the thing and said, if you say Michael Ovitz's name, we're going to break your legs. Huh. That's literally what Michael Ovitz's people said to him. And I'm not making this up because he tells it on my podcast, the story. And if you do a search for Anthony Pelicano in Hollywood, you'll read a couple stories in Vanity Fair about how things got a little crazy in that era. Putting it aside, um, he was really nervous. And then he wound up doing Red Swoosh, and we were just friends through all of that. And so this is when I had this revelation that I had smart friends who were going to do great things in the world from my tenure network as a journalist. And I was coming out of the Embarcadero and I said, hey, you know, how are you doing? He said, yeah, you want to see what I'm working on? I said, yeah. And he said, it's Uber Taxi. I said, okay. And so it's a taxi, but it's a Lincoln Town Car, right? He said, yeah. I said, a taxi is not a Lincoln Town Car. That's stupid. Why don't you just call it Uber? And he goes, yeah, we're trying to get the domain name. I'm like, yeah, can I get credit for that in the movie? And he goes, uh, what? And I said, you know, like, Sean's getting credit for taking the thaw off of Facebook in the Facebook movie. So can you give me credit for taking the taxi off Uber? He's like, well, no, we've already decided to do that. And I was like, oh, well, can you give me credit anyway? He's like, yeah, I'll give you credit for that. So if there's ever a movie, they're going to give me credit for that or do the exact story like I'm telling Sean now. will be like the Parker of, of the exactly, Uber movie. Exactly, yeah. You have to wait for someone to sue him, but, but Exactly. Yes. And so he showed it to me and then I said, oh, I'm having this event, Open Angel Forum, where I'm bringing together 10 angels. I'm going to have five companies pitch, six companies pitch. You want to come to that? you're providing value. Yeah. In and he came to that way. little dinner party and he pitched and three people in the room invested and 17 didn't. Um, those two people are, you know, really thankful. The 17 are, you know, every time I see them, they're like, <sighs> it's, it's, 
they just look at me and they're just like, ah. but okay, but but here here's no. the question because and again this is really separate from the book. You actually don't even talk that much specifically about Uber because no. this is really where you're assessing a person. Um, yeah, he's and, a winner. He's going to win at whatever he does, right? It's but, obvious. But, but it's hard to say that because it's again someone someone like you talking to Mark Pincus earlier could have said, well, every city has licenses for taxis. For sure, the the licenses in New York, in fact, yeah. have totally crashed. So so how is we going to deal with the regulatory go, issues? Right. So the chances of them figuring all that out is low. But what if they do figure it out? What does it look like? And that's where I changed my entire psychology and thinking, which is, what if it works? And that's what it takes to be a great investor. If it's clear that it's going to work, you should not invest. How do you, how do you avoid? I feel like because if you do invest, the idea is so obvious that it's probably not going to change the world. But how do you avoid on something like that? Um, because once you put money in, there's the cognitive bias, like, oh, I, I'm, I have money, and it must be a smart thing. Like, how do you avoid the the smoking crack cognitive bias here? That once you're in, did you uh, read the subtitle of the book? I mean, it's pretty much, uh, <laughs> it's pretty out there. <laughs> no, I, I think there, there are things you can look for. Like, I, I don't recommend that people angel invest in companies today in 2017 until they've launched their product. And have a couple of customers until the company they're investing in has launched their. Yeah, their product. because think about it this way: they have friends and family money they can tap. They can use sweat equity, where you know the three founders just build the product and get it to market. There's very few products outside of medical devices and you know the the pharmacy kind of space or rocket ships where the founder can't do it with their own money to an MVP. Mm-hmm. So you want to wait till the product gets to market, especially if you're a new angel. And in today's market. There are so many friends and family rounds and people doing it with sweat equity and building it themselves that you really shouldn't be investing in the 100 startups before they get to launch because only maybe three of them will ever launch a product. So if you invest in only launch products, you've already eliminated 97% of the failures. Now you're in a group bucket of, say, 10 com- of another 100 companies that get to launch. Of those, you know, maybe two-thirds die in the first two or three years. But at least you get to spend two or three years with them trying to figure out if there's a business here. And, and at least you know they've put in, they, 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 they have created something that someone else has found pleasure using. Yeah, and it may only be three or four customers, but at least somebody has used it. And you can tell they're not tourists or bullshit artists, right? So when that movie, the, the the Social Network came out, we just got this massive tourist season in the industry, just like when the dot-com boom happened. And the number of people making stuff, I have an app, I have an app, great, you have an app, show it to me. Okay, great, it's another photo sharing app. Okay, this is a poorly designed photo sharing app. So if you make a photo sharing app after Instagram, it has to be much better than Instagram in order for anybody to care, obviously, right? To get somebody to switch, it's gotta be five times better, not just 10% or 20%. And I have people showing me on a regular basis, photo apps that aren't as good. So th- that has no chance. Or talking to me about why your photo app's gonna be better and you haven't launched it. So being able to qualify people who are actual builders and who will go to work every day um, is important, I think. You, you have a lot of people who actually don't know how to actually build anything. So 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 I'm gonna I'm gonna give my highest takeaways. These yes. are just mine. I think everybody's gonna have different takeaways, whether they're an investor or a founder or yeah in the middle of some of them. And by the way, if you bought the book, there is a little raffle ticket in it. And then uh, James, I, and a couple of friends are going to dinner, and we're going to pick three people from the bucket to come to dinner with us. And and we did bucket. this last night, and two people came with us to dinner, and one of them was like, I can't believe I'm sitting here having dinner with you at this Michelin star restaurant. And I was like, 
They're not going to say the value meal. They'll say. I was like, neither can I. This is pretty awesome, and he has a pretty good startup. And I'm going to meet with him when he launches it, and I'm going to probably wind up investing in it. So, like, this idea of like randomness and saying yes to things and not staying at home and watching Breaking Bad is <laughs> is something you could probably work on. Although I don't know, you want to get out there a little bit, James. I don't know. When I'm out like late at a restaurant, I'm thinking, man, it's going to be so good to like be in the bed, be, just be in bed. Yeah, we're all like, thinking that candidly. What? We're all thinking that. Yeah, if you're over forty, you're once thinking you're out, that. you want to go back. Once you're yeah. in, you're like saying, I have to go out. It, yeah. you know, it just wherever you are, you're, you got to be the goat somewhere else. So You really do think this way, don't you? I do. It's incredible. <laughs> so so my, my biggest takeaways, and again, it's just my own. Uh, I think that the business of business, as you kind of say more or less, is about being around and creating a network of great people. Yep. And there are... You give so many different ways to do it. There are long-term ways to do it, short-term ways to do it, yeah. mid-term ways to do it. And I think there's also a component where there's a lot of psychology as well. So if I'm invested mm. in a business, a lot of my discussions might about that business, either with other investors or other or the CEOs or whatever, might be about people and not about product. The product they're already on, yeah. they're already selling. But I might spend a good chunk of my time. You need to communicate more. Maybe now's the time yeah. to think about doing a deal, but don't get rid of these other deals you've already made with people. You know, keep to your word. So a lot of it, I think the psychology and being true to your word and being a good person and being with good people is critically important to angel investing. Yeah, you can't have liars. That's we had two deals that we agreed to do and that in due diligence, the founders had outright lied to us and we caught them. And we outlined them in the book and it was really shocking. Yeah, I, I, I never I, thought that would actually happen. And the first 50 deals, I didn't really do due diligence. And then for the next you know, 100, we started doing due diligence. And right when we started doing diligence, we had catch two people in outright lies. The scary thing is I think I was in the food one. <laughs> It was pretty scary. I mean, I think uh, I was invested in the food one, not actually. Well, it was actually a really interesting discussion. Like, now I know how publishing works. It's like a really interesting and charming business. So they're like, um, and, and some people from HarperCollins are in the room. But uh, this is like the side from like the author side. And they're like, oh my God, we love your book. It's incredible. Your voice is great. Don't stop writing. It's great. I have on the phone our uh, general counsel, and uh, there's 17 people in the book who are going to sue you, and uh, we wanted to talk about that for a minute. And I'm like, okay. I'm like, yeah, so, um, yeah, I'm the general counsel. Everybody's going to sue you. It's going to be complete utter disaster and shit show, whatever. I'm like, yeah, okay, good. Well, great. That's what books are about. And they're like, or there's another possibility we could put on the table. I'm like, okay, out with it. What is it? And they're like, we change the names. I was like, Great. So Brian and I go Done. through and we change all the names to protect the innocent. Um, it was also another interesting moment with the publisher. I can tell some publisher stories. It's really cool. Um, we were uh, sitting there and we're discussing the audiobook. And I'm like, I have to read the audiobook. They're like, well, yeah, we have this incredible person. He read all your friends' books and his voice is amazing. He's got a bunch of these awards and it's amazing. How much does that cost? Well, don't worry about what it costs. It's, it's on us. It's great. I was like, no, fuck it. I got to read the book. They're like, well, and I'm like, just tell it to me straight. Why don't you guys, why are you dissuading me from reading the book? And they said, well, and I said, is it because you think it'll suck? And they're like, but, well, yes, it could. I mean, that's always the possibility that it could suck. And I was like, okay, um, how about this? If I do the book, we're like, also, everybody quits on the first day. Everybody says they want to do it. And it turns out now, did you do your own audio book? Yes. Have you done but, one in the last two but, years? Yes, but I will tell you the secret for, is 
you make it a uh, uh, not the exact text. I okay. riffed throughout my whole book. Okay, so I go in and they're like, well, it has to be the exact text now because now there's this whisper sync. So if you have the ebook and if you have the audio book, it syncs every word you say to the book. So they're like, it's really frustrating. And I was like, well, fuck that, man. I'm good and I got a podcast. I'm good on a microphone. Let's do it. <laughs> and they're like, okay. And we got there and it's quite charming. And the woman's there and she's like a producer and she's done all these great books. She's got her glasses on and she's got the manuscript and you're in there and it's the studio. And I start reading and she's like, okay, let's try that venture capitalists. And I'm like, yeah, that's what I said. And she's like, let's try plural this time. And I'm like, did I make a mistake? She goes, yeah, we just want to try it with, uh, and I was like, Oh, you're never going to say I made a mistake. It was very nice of her. She would, okay, let's try the venture capitalist this time. The venture capitalist. One more time. The. And it was just, okay, we have tummy noise. It's a little tummy noise there. Let's wait for tummy noise. Okay, great. And it, it is like after the first day, I was like, oh my God, they were right. This is the most frustrating thing I've ever done in my life. And then I realized you can stop at any point in time. So I'd be like, Venture capital is the art of <laughs> investing large sums of money in technology companies. Take a breath, I think I said. And once you figure that out, that you don't have to speak like a human, you could just speak like some crazy robot with a pause button, <laughs> then it goes very smoothly. So I did it in three days and it worked out okay. So it's it's a lot of fun writing a book. See, I took the opposite approach there. I would I would be reading and I'm like, I just can't. It, like it's hard enough when you have a little kid reading like Goodnight Moon to them. Yeah. <laughs> like now I got to read 400 pages. There's no way. Right. So I just I'm like I can't believe I wrote this. Here's what I really. You'll think. never. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> You'll never finish Breaking Bad if you read your own book. It's, <laughs> right. Exactly. And they won't let you read in bed. So 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 I, I want to just really quickly get back to my my <laughs> takeaways. There's the there's the people. Yes, people matter. <laughs> Be and and you accelerated it, but there's lots of ways to do it. There's also uh, kind of the 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 hard way to angel invest and the easy way to angel some invest. Hacks, some Mi hacks. Yeah, not, and neither is wrong. Um, it's just that it is possible for someone listening to this podcast or someone in the audience to begin a full career of angel sure. investing and create wealth using this guidebook without without creating a magazine and conferences. Correct. And doing everything you've done. Some and combination of network or skills and money is what founders are looking for. If you have two out of those three, you're going to be a good angel. You don't even need to have the money. You could be an advisor and just have a great network or be an advisor and have great skill. If you have all three of those things, you could be world class. I think also this is valuable to, to founders to A, know how to communicate with yeah. the syndicates, but also to potentially even network with the individuals individuals within the syndicates. They're all there now. You can yeah. see all the people who put uh, $1,000 in something. And understanding what it's like. The second year of angel investing is like the worst year in your life because the first 10 companies you invested in, seven of the 10 are running out of money. And we talked about it earlier. Now you're investing in your next 10 companies. The first 10, they're all, it's, like a, it's like a mash unit. Everybody's dying, limbs everywhere. It's just horrific. And people are crying on the phone. We're out of money. We're shutting down. What do we do? And you got to oh, talk I don't, them off a I ledge. Don't, I don't return those calls. <laughs> no, I... Uh, you're I'm a, sleeping. Exactly. <laughs> what I do is I always tell people, um, my role as an angel investor is when you're so scared to tell your team how fucked up it is, and if you tell your other investors how fucked up it is, like the investors will never invest in you again and your team will quit, that's when you call me because I know that every company 
is on the brink of like implosion, including the big ones. Like it's, they're always a moment away from death and destruction and total collapse. Uh, we know that. So call me at that time. And like literally one time I'm out with my wife and phone rings. Oh, founder, answer it. He goes, I just puked in the shower. I said, excuse me? He says, I'm sitting in the bathroom crying on my toilet. I just puked in the shower. My kids are downstairs with my wife waiting to go to lunch. You told me to call you if this ever happens. I said, well, I didn't technically tell you to call me if you puke in the shower, <laughs> but you're right. I did tell you to call. Tell me what's going on. And he tells me what's going on. And I said, all right, it sucks. But the good news is um, you can shut this company down, go to work at that big company for two years, make a shit ton of money, get a bunch of RSUs at Facebook or Google. And in two years, you'll be refreshed and have a new company and I will be the first check waiting for you. So again, it's about the fact that he properly communicated with you instead of doing what, yeah. what you suggest, not what you suggest, but what you say most failing founders do is they stop communication. If someone just keeps on communicating steadily, that's really a strong yeah. secret of success. I, I think so, yeah, and being honest. I mean, and being candid. So I use the word candid uh, instead of honest because there's a great book called Creativity Inc. Uh, by one yeah, of, you know, Ed Catmull. Ed Catmull, I had him on my podcast and he's a really charming guy and uh, really creative, obviously, and, and smart. And I took me two years to get him on my podcast and we did a three-hour discussion. It was really one of, the most, one of my favorite discussions ever on the podcast in 750 episodes. And he says he uses the word candid with people because if you say be honest, then you're saying, well, oh, I wasn't being honest before, so now I, I should start being honest and people will be offended. But if you say, can you just be candid with me? It's like a higher level of honesty, just like it's totally cool, permission granted. So I just tell people, be candid. Because if we put this stuff out on the table, we're here to solve problems and we know the odds are long. So let's just admit that and be candid about it and then do the work. And that's why when I signed the book, I put do the work. Because really that's the only thing I've learned in my life is that if you do the work, it'll, it'll all be okay, right? Well, that's great. And Jason, so the yeah. author of Angel, Thank again, you. a great guidebook to not only angel investing, but being a founder as well, sure. I think. So if you're yeah. an entrepreneur or you want to build wealth as an investor and there's a variety of ways to do it, it's all outlined in this book. Okay. I honestly wish I had it in 2000 when I basically blew millions of dollars. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, I, the re one of the reasons I wrote it is like nobody's written a book and then somebody today was like, oh, did you, there's another book or whatever. And I was like, yeah, but have any of those other founders, other angel investors actually hit a couple of unicorns or three, four, five, or six of them. And really, you know, it's, it's a starting point for me, this book, because what I'm hoping to do is hopefully people can change their station in life, but hopefully people look at it and tell me, I have a great deal. And by the way, it's not perfect. You know, there's something, there's a leak in your game. You could do better this way. And here's a way to, for me to improve my game. So I'm hoping people read it and then email me, jason at calacanis.com and tell me how to make my game better and what I'm missing and send me deals. All right, we'll have a conversation yeah. with your therapist about that as well. Absolutely. <laughs> I need a therapist, I guess, apparently, so, based on this. So uh, okay. thanks very much, everybody, for coming. But we're going to hold on one second. Get your uh, raffle ticket. Um, do I just reach out and pick two numbers here? Yeah. Four. Oh, boy. Four. It's going to be a good dinner. Where All are right. we going? You pick the place. Don't, if you say where you're going, 100 people are going to show up. You realize. <laughs> it's gonna, the kind of idea is it's a secret location. Okay, the first number... One wait, wait, no, no, no. All right, go ahead. <laughs> I got scared there for a second. No, you know what? We, last night we did Siri, and I don't know if you guys know this, but there's like Siri obviously apparently has a good feature where you can go pick a random number between one and a hundred. 
right? And she'll just tell you a random number. But that 30 is not coming. It's got to be this number. Could you use tickets? Okay, good. Tell I, people. I override. Tell people who's coming to dinner. Okay. 182018. 182018. Oh my Bam. God. It's Josh. Josh bought five books. That's awesome. I'm stoked. And I just want to make a note. Don't be creepy at dinner. I'm not saying, Josh, you would be. But if somebody's a little creepy at dinner, we're going to put you at your own table. Go ahead, next one. Next number, and it's probably Josh as well, then. This could, this could get weird. 182041. All right, what's your name? Nitin. N-I-T-I-N. N-I-T-I-N. Nitin. Nitin. Are you an entrepreneur? Yes. All right. I know Josh is an investor, right? And entrepreneur. Great. Awesome. It's going to be a dinner company. Go ahead. Next number is 182037. 03. The bartender's coming to dinner? I don't Excellent. know. That's like a fix. What's your name? Sherman. Sherman. Oh, yeah. How are you? What do you do? You're an entrepreneur or an investor? He's a bartender. What do you say? <laughs> bartender. Okay. Bartender. Next one. All right. Here we go. Final, Final one. One eight two zero four three. Oh my God! Boom. Yes, how are you? From uh, oh, you're from Turkey. Yes. We met. Yes, and you speak, and your boyfriend's Greek. I remember. She's like, "Are you Greek?" I'm like, "Kalikanis." <laughs> yes, I'm Greek. Guilty as charged. <laughs> so right. thanks very much, and thank you, Jason. My pleasure. And everybody here. Okay. I hope you really enjoy this book as much as I did. So thanks very much. Awesome. For more from James, check out the James Altucher Show on the Choose Yourself Network at jamesaltucher.com and get yourself on the free insiders list today. Hey, thanks for listening. Listen, I have a big favor to ask you and it will only take 30 seconds or less. And it would mean a huge amount to me. If you like this podcast, Please let me know. Please let the team I work with know. Please let my guests know. And you can do this easily by subscribing to the podcast. It's probably the biggest favor you could do for me right now. And it's really simple. Just go to iTunes, search for The James Altucher Show, and click subscribe. Again, it will only take you 30 seconds or less. And if you subscribe now, it will really help me out a lot. Thanks again. You seek the key, but first you must learn the ways of precision craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX with a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower. The ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.